Hello, my name is Brian Delaney, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Road Safety at Rush Hour, a podcast dedicated to discussing the latest topics in roadway safety and innovation. This podcast is presented by the Roadway Safety Foundation, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to reducing the frequency and severity of motor vehicle crashes, injuries, and fatalities through improvements to roadway systems and their environment. On this episode, I am very excited to welcome my friend Jennifer Morrison, Manager of Vehicle Safety Compliance at Mazda North America. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I'm excited to talk about some technology that exists on our roads today and some of the vehicles and how that connects to infrastructure and the built environment. And so first I wanna talk a little bit about automated emergency braking. Many automobile manufacturers have implemented automated emergency braking, which is basically, for those that are unaware, is a system or a sensor built into a vehicle that detects potential forward crashes with another vehicle in time to hopefully avoid or at least mitigate the level of crash. And so the systems usually alert the driver first, if I'm correct, Jennifer, and then take corrective action to avoid the crash. However, if the driver's response is not sufficient enough to avoid the crash, the AEB system may automatically apply the brakes to assist in preventing or reducing the severity of the crash. And and this, this technology is available currently, which is very exciting, especially as we move towards a time where cars have a lot more control and are able to drive themselves, as they say. And now I know Mazda has the Smart City Brake support system. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Mazda's technology, but also talk about this vehicle technology in general. Right. So I think you've captured it pretty well there. Um, AEB, as we call it in the industry, uh, automatic emergency braking um, is one of uh, the features in a larger umbrella of advanced driver assistance systems that are available really on a, a lot of vehicles now. In fact, a lot of vehicles um, have standardized this type of technology. So it's standard equipment across many different manufacturers and their models. Um, there was a, a voluntary commitment in the industry that was um, compelled through NHTSA and the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety to deploy AEB on vehicles. And there's a, a good number of OEMs, um, of course, Mazda included, that are equipping well over 80% of their vehicles and, and looking for 100% production um, of AEB as standard equipment. So that's really um, an essential part of this. Because the technologies can be somewhat confusing to the consumer, um, you know, what is AEB? What does that stand for? Um, and people do get it confused with real automation um, that these vehicles are driving themselves. And that is not where we are today. Where we are today is systems that really just support the driver, um, not replace them. So these systems are, are made to give the driver uh, just another tool in their safe driving um, kit so that when they are approaching another vehicle from behind, and for some reason, we are all human, um, make a mistake, get distracted, have something else going on in the vehicle, that they don't run into that car ahead of them. Um, these ADAS technologies, automatic emergency braking, um, are estimated to reduce about half of all rear end collisions. So they are very powerful 
very powerful technologies and they are improving every single um, iteration. Um, now these uh, technologies are capable of detecting, uh, many of them are capable of detecting pedestrians and bicyclists. Um, certainly that's the case um, with the, the systems on, on Mazda's vehicles today. And you mentioned that reducing crashes almost in half. What does the future for this technology look like? How is it going to change either the culture of driving or change the ability for us to move towards like zero fatalities, zero crashes? Yes. It, it, so the overall umbrella of advanced driver assistance systems um, is a little different than when we talk about automated vehicles, right? So um, of course, SAE has the, the levels um, of automation that they've published, six different levels, zero to five. Um, and where we're at right now is really at best about a level, about a level two. Um, level two technology would be um, vehicles that are capable of controlling both the, the lateral acceleration and deceleration of a vehicle, as well as the side to side um, movement of the vehicle. Um, so within the lane. So that's really the best we're at. And there are some automakers right now that have deployed level two technology on the roads today. Um, but most of the vehicles are really at level one. That's that advanced driver assistance system like an AEB that can just control the braking of a vehicle and not also the steering. Um, adding both the braking and the steering gets you to the, to the level two. Now those systems can operate independently, like you mentioned a lane keeping assist system or a lane departure warning system. Those are also um, very useful technologies um, and becoming more common and more standard on a lot of new vehicles. This technology I know is, is advancing every day, although I think our minds are often focused on automated technology reaching up to like the level five of, of automation where the car drives itself. But there's a lot of progress that's being made and a lot of new technology companies and organizations that are working on technology that improves these ADAS systems like, like AEB, et cetera, lane assist. I was actually reading an article recently. It was by the Computer Business Review, and it spoke a lot about the potential for thermal imaging to enhance AEB systems. In this study, an organization is looking at the use of these thermal cameras in both daylight and in darkness to reduce crashes. How well do these AEB systems perform in like darkness and in light? Right, so the, the cameras and radars and, and laser systems are improving with every iteration of these, of these systems. But the, um, I think the real takeaway here is that some of the, what, what are the vehicles tested to? What are the criteria in, in, in which we test um, a successful AEB system? And there are two organizations currently that are that are testing. You know, um, one of the real important things here is that none of these systems are required. Um, are there? There are no standards for them under federal regulations. So what automakers like Mazda and others do is that we test our systems to our internal criteria, of course, but then we also test them to um, the criteria for um, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. They have a pedestrian. AEB test, um, as well as a car-to-car -car AEB test. And then also uh, NCAP um, has just a, an AEB test. They don't have a pedestrian test criteria yet. 
Um, so we look at those, those criteria and currently none of those um, are performed in darkness. Um, so that is something that um, the industry is looking to make improvements on, possibly do some testing against. Um, and for that, we will need improved sensors, overall suites of sensors, including um, uh, better cameras. And um, like you mentioned, maybe some thermal imaging, um, different types of sensors that can allow us to see our environment even in darkness. The improvement of the sensors, but also, would that also include probably looking at more advanced lighting? Or I know that there are sort of, I think it's called adaptive headlights, basically when, when other vehicles are approaching to help mitigate crashes from like high beams, adjusting high beams. Do you think this ability to test the AEB to, to perform well in darkness have to include improved lighting for vehicles as well? Right. So that's been one of the biggest changes that um, that we've been working on in the in the last couple of years is improved headlights. It's really a critical component of crash avoidance, not only to support our technologies, but also to support our driver. If you can see better, then maybe you won't need the AED at all, because um, really all of these systems are to support the driver. We want to make sure that 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 the person is always in control. Um, none of these systems, even the level two systems, are made to work without the driver. So sure. that is something we always want to come back to. We don't, um, we don't take away control from the driver until we're all the way up at level five. And that is not where we are in this country or in any place in the world today, um, not for production level vehicles. So the, the headlight improvements um, have been driven from a couple of places. We do have um, adaptive front lighting systems, which can curve with the, with the steering of a vehicle. Those are allowed under current safety regulations um, to be manufactured and sold in the US. We're also working on a technology that's available in Europe called adaptive front lighting system, adaptive headlighting system. Um, so the adaptive beams actually um, reduce their amount of, of intensity depending on what they're sensing coming at them um, and the whole roadway environment. So those are not currently allowed under US federal regulations. And that's something that NHTSA has written um, an NPRM on and is working on a final rule to allow that type of technology into the US. And we believe that will be a critical part of overall crash avoidance. That's fascinating. And with technology that's being deployed in Europe, I would have to assume that it relies also on the built environment of the road and sort of the infrastructure and how roads are designed. And when we look at a roadway system, are they more crash prone and looking at how intersections and, and road systems are designed? That, that must have a huge part in the effectiveness of this technology too. Right. So there's some of the technologies that um, really do rely on that built environment. Um, a couple of them that come immediately to mind, um, of course, is, is pedestrian environment. Um, I, you know, the, the pedestrian technologies have really improved and um, it's been great to see that because it is such a critical part of the losses that this country experiences out there on our roadways. Um, we see those pedestrian and cyclist fatalities and injuries have, are, are really unacceptably so high. And how do we solve that problem? Um, so automakers and the automotive industry has, has really um, done what we can do or is continuing to do what we can do to make technologies that can avoid pedestrians. But when it comes down to it, pedestrians are not crash worthy. We don't want to interact with them at all. So really 
that roadway environment separation in either space or time to remove the potential for collisions between cars and pedestrians is the foundation of that form of collision avoidance. Anytime a car interacts with a pedestrian, the car is gonna win. And we don't want to be in those situations to begin with. So that's why we're designing those crash avoidance systems to hopefully prevent or at least mitigate those collisions. But the foundation of it really is in the environment where we have opportunities for pedestrians to cross either mid intersection or during nighttime um, on a high speed roadway. Those are where we see um, those really tragic crashes that um, turn to be fatal um, regardless of what can be done for a mitigation in that in those circumstances i'm glad you brought that up obviously like you had mentioned pedestrian and bicyclist fatalities have been on the rise most recently with the most recent data that was released by the united states department of transportation and so i i was actually reading a couple of studies uh, particularly focused on automated emergency braking and it's well stated that the AEB technology significantly mitigates risks to pedestrians. And I'm glad you brought up the idea of, of designing the road to either foster safer conditions for pedestrians. In, in your opinion, how can we design roads that are safer for pedestrians, but also capable of enhancing the benefits of AEB and some of these, these driver assistance systems? Right. So the, the, the roadway environment is really critical to the safety technologies that we're designing. These safety technologies are designed to operate in ideal roadway conditions. And right. any of us that have driven in a major urban area or even in suburban areas with lots of construction going on and uh, maybe crosswalks not, not even existing, I think it really comes down to you know, the planning of the roadway environment. Um, are you going to place a, a bus stop across the street, um, across a major intersection or a major thoroughfare where there isn't a crosswalk? You know, there, we see that all the time where there is shopping centers and shopping complexes across the street from housing complexes and really no infrastructure to get the pedestrians from A to B. But there are cities and localities that are doing a much better job now of thinking about that. They've seen the pedestrian fatalities, um, cyclist fatalities during recreational areas like trails where a trail would end and there would be no other trail to get to other than having to cross the street mm -hmm. um, without a, a proper crosswalk and signals and lights. So I think that's all part of the solution. It needs to be a holistic environment where there are the lane, proper lane lines and crosswalks. And I mentioned lane lines because there are technologies like lane departure warning and lane keep assist. Now that's more for the roadway, um, the highway environment. Those typically operate over a certain speed limit um, to really help the driver maintain their lane. But without the lane lines, those systems aren't going to function as they're designed. So right. it really is a holistic approach. The roadway, the environment, intersections, they all do um, need to be designed uh, so that the technology can operate to its ideal condition. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned it operates in an ideal condition. And the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is a lot of our infrastructure requires improvement. And so especially with regards to lane markings, if 
if the lane markings aren't up to ideal conditions or maybe they're not even there, how does that impact lane assist technologies? I'm, I'm assuming that it wouldn't be able to properly operate or it would have difficulty increasing potential for crash. Is, is that safe to say? So yeah, the lane departure warning systems and lane keeping assist systems do rely on lane markings. So in the absence of the lane markings, those systems would not be available to use. And um, in the driver interface, the, the vehicle will be telling the driver about that. Once the lane markings are identified, those tend to illuminate in the, in the dash area, and then the lane keeping assist is capable of doing its job. But if there are no lane lines there, that system's functionality is not going to rise to that occasion. It's going to just be in the background waiting for the situation, um, the conditions to be met for that system to be able to work. Um, it's always on looking for its conditions to be met, but when those conditions are not met, it's going to be in the background, not functioning um, to either keep that driver in the lane or warn the driver that the lane is 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 um, being occurred on, like where the the driver is moving over too, too closely to the lane line. So you're not going to get the warning if the lane line doesn't exist. Right. There's a lot of talk about moving towards. Uh, well, it's already begun, <laughs> I should say, is vehicle to everything technology, V to X, having the car be able to communicate directly with the infrastructure to send signals and, and conditions of the road, et cetera. And so if, if our road environment is not prepared for this V to X technology, there's a huge potential for safety and, and an opportunity, I should say, to mitigate and eliminate crashes if the built environment is, is lacking in its ability to communicate with the car. Right. So vehicle, vehicle to X, v, v to X, vehicle to everything, I think it holds a lot of potential. And Right now, um, there's been a big fight um, between uh, the FCC and the DOT um, with securing um, enough of uh, the, the bandwidth, the actual communication space, to deploy vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communications. Um, many, not many years ago, but a few years ago, the NHTSA had actually published an NPRM for vehicle-to-vehicle, vehicle-to-infrastructure communications, but then um, stopped any forward movement on that. And after that, FCC kind of came in and said, all right, well, we've reserved this 5.9 gigahertz band for these communications um, and you haven't used it. You know, you haven't deployed, you haven't made a regulation and now we're at risk of losing that. So the, the industry, both the infrastructure side and um, automotive, trucking, commercial vehicles, they're all fighting to get to make sure that we maintain that spectrum of communication for automotive safety, for um, highway safety. But the because of the kind of development of that and still uncertainty of having a communications band available, we still need more time to develop that technology. But it certainly has so much potential, especially around intersections. Um, the vehicle itself alone has a hard time estimating if another vehicle is approaching from 90 degrees, such as an intersection. Um, but with vehicle to infrastructure communication, more information could be uh, delivered to the vehicles to improve those type of collisions, which tend to be quite severe. 
um, intersection collisions can be quite severe, um, causing a lot of injuries and fatalities. And I'm glad that we transitioned into this topic of what does the future look like for roadway safety and infrastructure and overall transportation technology. And I know we're about to conclude this podcast episode. So I wanted to ask one final question I like to ask all of my guests, because I think it's so important that we kind of bring it back to that idea of zero and achieving zero transportation fatalities. So Jennifer, from your perspective, what does the future look like for road safety and infrastructure with zero transportation fatalities as our goal, as the only acceptable number, what needs to happen going forward? It's a good question. And, um, you know, for in my view, right now, the technologies that are being deployed, um, like, like AEB and like many of the ADAS technologies out there, are really being driven by voluntary commitments from the industry and from private sector um, research organizations like the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, which really is testing and kind of making a high bar for automakers to reach the top safety pick and top safety pick plus, you have to have AEB, pedestrian AEB, and not just have them, but have them rated well in their testing. You also have to have good headlights, um, good or acceptable rated headlights. So these are the, the, organizations that are really driving the the advancement of technology and deployment, what we really need is some more federal leadership in this area. There are no regulations um, for these technologies. And that is something that that it's strange to hear maybe an automaker say we want regulation in this area, but we do. We want uniformity. Um, we want to be ha- able to meet certain targets and design a system to, to standard um, or even better, but we have to know what the standard is. So I think that some federal leadership there to actually get some standards and some, some testing, even if it's part of the new car assessment program. Um, NHTSA's current new car assessment program, although it recommends certain safety technologies, does not require any of them to to reach a five-star rating. So I think these are areas that can really compel further advancement of technologies as our government takes a position that these are the things that are required to get us to zero fatalities. Absolutely. And I think that's that's entirely right. We need to have the regulation that helps you, the automaker, be able to implement and initiate these great technologies that are going to save so many lives across the country and, and across the globe being an international company. Jennifer, my friend, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me and sharing your insights on uh, AEB and some of the technologies at Mazda, as well as looking at the scope of technology and infrastructure across the United States. I really appreciate you taking the time and thank you for continuing to work in in the field of traffic and transportation safety. I know we met quite a few years back while I was just a little intern at the National Transportation (laughs) Safety Board. So it's kind of neat to to have you on the the phone and and be on this podcast and share your, your great insights. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. I've enjoyed it. So in closing, on behalf of the Roadway Safety Foundation, I would like to thank everyone for 
tuning in to this episode of our podcast series, Road Safety at Rush Hour. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to hear more, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the Roadway Safety Foundation and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast network. As always, this is Brian Delaney signing off, wishing you safe travels all day and every day. Thank <laughs> you.